I'm speaking with Rick Harnish. Rick co-founded the High Speed Rail Alliance in 1993 and has been its executive director since 2001. The Alliance builds the political will for systemic change by advocating for integrated rail and transit networks connected by 200 plus mile per hour high-speed lines. By connecting cities, towns, and airports, the high-speed trains will dramatically expand economic opportunities and slash carbon emissions. Harnish's work is informed by his strong commitment to researching and learning from global best practices. I'd like to start by talking about your background. Where did you grow up? Most of my youth was in Cleveland, and we used to take the train into downtown Cleveland to go shopping. And so I really loved the train station there and kept asking my dad why there weren't trains at the train station. We would take basically the Chicago equivalent of the L, but you couldn't take the train to any place else from there. So that's kind of where I got my interest in. What was your experience of growing up there like? I loved those trips downtown, and this was late 60s, early 70s, and the streets were crowded with people, and the shops were really cool, and you know there was a department store called May and Company, where on Christmas, you would go up to the seventh floor, and that's where the big toy section was, and there was a train to ride, and Santa Claus, and all of that, and it was really depressing to me to see that declined so quickly. And somehow I got the idea that it had something to do with their not being trained. And the two of them together kind of really bummed me out. What eventually brought you to Chicago? Well, my dad says braces. He wanted a company that would pay for braces and all of his kids needed braces. So I was a young teenager and they all moved here. What was that experience of moving here like? Well, again, we moved to Oak Park, which had really good transit access and was very bikeable. So as a young teenager, being able to just get around anywhere I wanted to go really was important. And again, seeing like what Austin used to be before various bad federal policies put it into the tank. And comparing that to Oak Park, which was able to overcome those issues, really provided an interesting contrast of what bad versus good policy could do to a person's life. Yeah, it's really stark when you cross Austin Avenue between Oak Park and Chicago, just to see what a difference that makes. Absolutely. And still going through the West Side, there's really beautiful strong assets that we have on the West Side. I mean, I live in Chicago now, and so when I say we, I mean the city of Chicago as a whole. And we really need to figure out how to take full advantage of those assets, both the people who are there and the building stock. And unfortunately, there's lots of vacant land and that we shouldn't have torn down all those buildings in the first place. But that's an opportunity to, again, build a walkable, very enjoyable community. And what has kept you in Chicago as an adult? I couldn't really imagine moving anywhere else, but I did live in Naperville for a little while. I don't remember if it was a year or two. And I hated the idea that I was taking my life into my hands every time I got on a bicycle. And people say, well, the traffic's really bad downtown, or I moved to Wicker Park. Yeah, but they're only going five or 10 miles an hour, right? So that's what brought me back to Chicago, was just being able to bike ride and live in a place where we 
could take the L and the bus places, and I still do take the bus and the L and bike a lot. What was your inspiration for founding your high-speed rail advocacy organization? Well, I'm a founding member. I'm not the founder, to be clear. So Claude and Nikolai were, if you can do Paris to Lyon, which is the distance of Chicago to St. Louis, essentially. At that time, we would consider this slow now, but they haven't really upgraded it since. It's one of the first high-speed lines. So it's two hours and 20 minutes. And the premise was, if you can do Paris to Lyon in two hours and 20 minutes, or Madrid to Seville in two hours and 20 minutes, which were both open in 1993, why can't we do that here? And why do we have to suffer through what we thought at the time was really invasive airport security? And the airport security has only gotten worse. And so that was the core premise, is if you can do it in all these other places, we should be able to do it here. What do you think are some of the big barriers in the United States to getting traction for high-speed rail? I was listening to an interesting podcast called the Cast, where they're talking about the issues around creating driver-assisted and eventually fully autonomous cars. And they had a podcast on about safety yesterday and about how bad our policies around driving safety are. And it's really this perverse thing where we destroyed our cities with the philosophy that we were going to make it safe to drive quickly through places. And perversely, we made driving less safe and the cars themselves are less safe. And they talked about some of the cultural reasons that we accept this high rate of death down even to the car design where in Europe and Japan, you have to test for how it impacts a pedestrian if you hit a pedestrian. And here we've actually gone the opposite direction and we've made our cars so that they're more likely to kill a pedestrian. And so you've got all of these little policies like that baked in. Bad land use, bad growth strategies that lead to bad land use again. There's lots of little stuff. But it's not that people love their cars. Everybody loves their cars. Everybody loves to drive. It's really the way we've built cities for driving fast, which is unfortunate. So given the fact that we've gone down that road with land use and planning, it seems like a chicken and egg scenario to me in terms of like, if we could improve rail transit, we could perhaps then see those other benefits. But given the way we've designed land use and planning, it's hard to then build that transit, how do you think we can overcome sort of those challenges of the land use and the planning to be able to then make high-speed rail more viable? So I know that if we built high-speed rail in the Midwest, it would be highly successful and well-used within just a couple of years. But making that leap of faith for most people, given their current thinking, is difficult. But having those trains will change cities and make places much more attractive places to be and much more financially stable. Right now, we've got a challenge where because we're so spread out, we really can't afford, city governments can't afford to maintain the infrastructure, the, the utilities, the pipes, the roadway infrastructure. And so 
If we could build the trains first, it will drive these other changes. We have to do them at the same time, but to really make it work, we've got to do transit as part of it. We can't do the city first and then the transit. We've got to do the transit right away. And when I say transit, I mean any mode where you don't get in the vehicle and drive it yourself. So airplanes, we have spent billions and billions and billions of dollars on the airlines. Most recently, in 2020, we funded their operations for a year. Airplanes are public transit, and high-speed rail should be considered public transit, where it's for carrying a lot of people. And it will work. It's a matter of getting that first successful line up and running. What would you say to people who look at some of our existing efforts like the Acela in the Northeast Corridor and feel like that hasn't really yielded very good results and are therefore skeptical? Well, the Acela has good results. It doesn't have great results. So clearly it's very well used. One of the key challenges is that Amtrak uses the strategy of keeping the seat count low and charging very high prices. I think that's a disastrous policy. They should change that immediately. But the fact that the people are willing to pay those high prices really demonstrates that there's a need for high quality trains. But we need to really invest in making that system work very well, making it work great. And that means persuading Amtrak to run big trains with lots of seats very frequently with low fares. And I believe that their margins will actually be better if they were to do that. But it's a really big change in the business model from what they've done for the last 20 years. But the other key thing is going to be Brightline between Disney, Orlando, West Palm Beach, Fort Lando, and Miami. They're launching with high quality trains and very frequent service. And when you can get on a train at Universal Studios and take it to Miami once an hour and it's going to be a great train, that's really going to tip the scales. Their project in Las Vegas to connect Las Vegas to LA will have a similar effect. And do you think getting private operators into that space is going to help as well? Absolutely. We need a lot more actors in the space, both public and private. The task at hand is too big for one organization, and you need a lot of creativity because we're really talking about launching a new industry. What Amtrak is today is a distant reminder of a train system that we had in the past that didn't really work. We really need to have a lot of innovation, a lot of new ideas, a lot of trying things out that aren't going to work, but other things that we try are going to work. And that takes having different actors in the field that can take different chances. So we need to get a lot more entities in it, both public and private. You mentioned France and Spain earlier. What other countries do you think we can look to as models for doing high-speed rail well? The interesting thing is that it's not like high-speed rail is one thing that you can describe. And it's not separate from the railroad industry. That's the key lesson. Except in a couple of places, Taiwan being one, it's really part of a broader system. And it's kind of like adding interstate highways to the existing highway network. I want to point out, the first time we did a big national highway network, where the feds paid for the national highway network, was in the early 1920s. And then people remember the interstate highway system, where we then built another highway system on top of the one we built in the early 20s. But 
it was piece by piece by piece, and it fit into a much bigger picture. The railroad network is like that, where you can do different things in different ways. And so every country that's done high-speed rail, whether it's Turkey or Morocco or Italy, Japan, China, France, Germany, Spain, and the list goes on, they've done something differently. And even different routes within those different countries are different. So we can take those lessons and figure out how to apply different things in different places in this country. So it's really, we've got 50 years of experience or hundreds of years. If you look at the entire railroad network, it's time to take that and put some creativity around really coming up with products that people want to buy tickets for. I want to come back to the Chicago area. Your organization has a plan called Crossrail Chicago. What is that plan and what was the inspiration behind that? Well, I want to be clear. It's not a plan. It's a proposal. It's an idea. We want policymakers to have a discussion and actually start having a conversation about what we're going to do. And sometimes the best thing to do is come up with a concrete proposal and then have people tear it apart. And then you learn from that and you change the proposal and blah, blah, blah. So we've gone through that process two or three times already. And what Crossrail is today is a proposal for taking four lines that come into Chicago that have the opportunity to become passenger dedicated or passenger focused. So the UP North that runs along the lakefront towards Milwaukee, the UP Northwest, which goes out through Arlington Heights to Madison. Trains don't go to Madison today, but they should. The Rock Island line that goes to Joliet, and then the Metro Electric, which goes south. Turn those into passenger dedicated main lines with a little bit of freight on a couple of them, and then connect them together so that they can be the way that we get a train every 10 minutes from each direction, in some cases, especially from the east, into downtown Chicago and to O'Hare, so that you connect the three biggest visitor destinations that we have in this region, O'Hare, Union Station, and McCormick Place together. But it's more than that because then you reinvent the metro system to become a cross-region system instead of a downtown-focused system, all with the same infrastructure. It's incredibly exciting proposition, and it uses existing rights-of-way for the most part. I'd dig a new tunnel under Union Station in the out years. But other than that, it's existing rights of way. So it's very practical. It's doable and a huge impact to the future of not just the Chicago region, but the entire Midwest and actually beyond that. What are some similar systems that exist elsewhere in the world that would be a model for this? Well, it's a long list, but I was just in Berlin and Berlin has some very interesting parallels. Paris, where they connected Gare de Lyon with Gare du Nord. Madrid, it's a long list. So again, there's lots of examples that we can draw upon all around the world. It's just a matter of going out and looking for them and taking some innovative ideas and bringing them here. And what kind of traction have you gotten with this proposal so far? Well, we're really excited that Cook County has been pushing an effort to lower fares on two of those lines that I mentioned, the Rock Island and the Metro Electric. The first step could be to run a train every 15 minutes with a CTA-like fare and a transfer to coordinated CTA buses and pace buses. And so Cook County has taken the lead on taking steps towards that goal. 
That's incredibly exciting. That's the first step. Metra has talked about needing to get from McCormick Place through Union Station to O'Hare over the last couple of years. Fantastic. Metra is looking at using innovative train sets that in the rest of the world aren't that innovative, but haven't been used very much here in the States. There's a train like it in Dallas and another one that's going to be running soon in the eastern suburbs of LA. But bringing those here to test a different service model on the Rock Island line. And then Amtrak is taking the lead on kind of their first foundational steps towards creating those connections between those four lines that I talked about. You talked about Union Station as being a key part of this plan. What upgrades are necessary to Union Station to really make that a practical thing going forward? Well, the first is, due to some mistakes, the original design from the 20s was a bad design. They made it much worse in the late 60s when they built the high rise over half of the station. And so the first thing you have to fix is undoing the mistake. And Amtrak is proposing to do that. So that's instead of that kind of maze that it takes to find your platform, clearing that all out so you can easily find your train, fixing the platforms to make it easier to get on and off trains, and making it practical to run trains through the station are the core elements. Another important issue is there's a high level of diesel pollution in the station. I would propose that we should electrify the trains that are in the station to fix it. But there's a step towards that you can do to get some of that pollution out of there. So those are the core things that need to be done to Union Station. The next thing you need to do is to make it easy to get a train from Union Station to Metro's Rock Island line or to the tracks either on the Metro Electric or the CN tracks that run next to the Metro Electric. So those are the exciting things that Amtrak is proposing to do through what they call the Chicago Hub Improvement Program. I think it's fascinating, too, just the fact that, like you mentioned, so much of the infrastructure is really there and being underutilized. And it's not necessarily huge fixes that we need, but rather just kind of incremental things that would then allow us to be able to really see big improvements in service. So I want to be clear about something. In the 1990s, the states in the Midwest were considering doing high-speed rail. And instead of admitting that they had given up on high-speed rail, they called it incremental high-speed rail. And they did some really important improvements to the Chicago to St. Louis line, to Chicago to Detroit line that we're really excited about, that we made some important contributions to making sure they happened. So it was good progress, but it wasn't high-speed rail. So I want to say this is phased, not incremental, because incremental is too small. We've got really big challenges ahead. And it's not going to take small steps. It's going to take some pretty dramatic steps that compared to highways are cheap. But in terms of what we're thinking about in this region with improvements to trains are just not big enough. And so we need to start thinking like highway planners and the scale of projects that highway planners propose. So right now, IDOT is proposing to move Lakeshore Drive into the lake. And nobody's batting eye about that, other than the people who worry about what quality of life is like. In terms of the transportation planners, yeah, let's move Lakeshore Drive into the lake, right? That's the kind of thinking we need on the trains. Right, yeah. And I feel like it's one of those things where when you don't invest and you invest in sort of half solutions, you get half results. And so it really is that thing where if you want to get the full benefit, you need the full vision and the full investment. 
We don't even need the full investment. I'll take half, right? But we need to be a lot more aggressive. We need to be very optimistic about our region. If people can get around by train easily, and I don't just mean going from a suburb to work. I mean going from Evanston to Highland Park to go shopping or vice versa, because the train is that frequent that you just go out and get on that train. And it's easy to roll onto the train because the platform and the floor are much closer together. Being able to easily get from the north side to the south side or from the south side to O'Hare, that will really change our city for the much better. And we should be optimistic about our city and know that we should be making those investments. Well, thank you for sharing your vision today. It was really interesting talking with you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.